these weeks we're focusing on telling our story, the story of what Christ has done in our lives. And I want to thank you for submitting your stories. I had a I had a, a good day yesterday. Monisa had driven to Kentucky, so I was alone. So I spent most of the day reading through a lot of stories, and I sent out a bunch of emails with some suggestions and edits for you. And thank you for giving me that privilege. It was a, uh, it, it was it was really fun. And I tell you, um, the stories that are represented on these boards and on the blue wall out in the lobby, on these pieces of paper, there, there is such incredible variety in all these stories. Some of you. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you were like me. You started going to church when you were a teenager. Others of you, you were an, you were an adult. Some of you only recently. Uh, some of us struggled with addiction. Some of us had lived a pretty good life and didn't have to overcome those things. All those different stories, all those different backgrounds. But one thing we all have in common, in the middle of those stories, is Jesus. And his love how we met him and how he's changed us and how we love him because he's loved us with an incredible love. That's the one thing that's, that, that all of us have in common. No matter our backgrounds, our experiences, we have that one thing. It's Jesus. He's changed us and he loves us and we love him. I mentioned Monisa's in Kentucky with her parents. They're both in their late 80s. And um, she's up there to, to just help them out for a few days. Her parents have a a different background. Her mom accepted Christ when she was a a little girl. But her dad, Jack, did not accept Jesus, give his life to Jesus until he was in his 40s, back in the mid-70s. And uh, not long after that, I became their, their pastor. Mabel was always... You know, very faithful, very active, would teach children in Sunday school. And, and after Jack was saved and baptized, he would come to church. But he, he'd do a few things to help out, but he wasn't as dedicated. And, and there were times there was some tension, you know, nothing major, but just some minor tension between them because she wanted to really serve and, and he didn't. He wanted her to do other things. And I remember having some, before I was ever dating their daughter, some counseling sessions and, you know, trying to help them through some of those, those issues. That's, that really sets the table for being their son-in-law in the future, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, anyway, God has a sense of humor. He does things like that. But uh, one of the things I admire about my father-in-law, he's 88 years old or 89. I forget. He's one of the 88 or 89. And uh, in the mid nineties, so he would have been what then, sixties um, or so. He started getting serious about Jesus. Now he'd been saved for a few years, but I mean, here he is. He's an older guy, and he really gets serious about the Lord, and 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 starts growing, and and serving. And I, I drove to Kentucky one Sunday afternoon to be there on Sunday night in time to ordain him as a deacon. And uh, he may be eighty-eight, eighty-nine, but he's one guy that small church in the mountains can count on to always be there doing what he can for the Lord. And and I just respect somebody who in their 60s and 70s and 80s continues to grow in Jesus. Their stories are different, but Jesus is at the, the center of both of them. That's And, and that's true for you and me. And I, I want you to open your Bible, please, to the book of John chapter 9, because I want to give you some more encouragement as we think about the difference Jesus makes in our lives and the importance of us telling others our story. Because, listen, there are people out there who need 
They need encouragement. They need to know that God can do something special in their life. And when you share with them that Jesus is doing something in your life, it says to them, you know, it's possible that something could happen in my life as well. So don't keep that a secret. Don't keep it to yourself. And by the way, our our theme verse, Psalm 107, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord do what? All right, I think you've got it. Let's try it again. Let the redeemed of the Lord do what? So that's what telling our story is all about, saying so, telling people who Jesus is, what he means to us, and all he's done in our lives. Well, in John chapter 9, Jesus is, is with his disciples, and he sees a man sitting there who's been blind since birth. And his disciples in chapter 9, verse 2, ask him a question. Why is he blind? Is it his fault or his parents' fault? Because they believe that if somebody had something bad happen in their life, it had to be a consequence of a particular sin. Draw a direct line, a straight line, you know, between those two points. You, you sinned here, so God did this to you. And Jesus said, no, he's, he's not blind because of any sin in his life. He's not blind because of his parents' sin. He's blind. And the truth is, sin's not fair, and life is not fair. And the way this sinful world and our sinful bodies impact us is different person to person. And it's not always consistent and it's not always fair. But it's always painful. It's always ugly. And it's always hurtful. And so here's this guy who's blind. And uh, Jesus has a conversation with him. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the story because I've got a testimony I want you to hear in a moment rather than uh, developing this verse by verse today. But Jesus takes and spits in some dirt and makes clay and he puts it on the man's eyes in verses 6 and 7 then tells him to go to this pool of water called Siloam and wash it off. So the man does that. And and when he washes that that clay from his eyes, he's able to see. And in verse 7, he comes back to Jesus and he can see. And those, those who were there recognized that a miracle had happened and this this man who had been blind was now able to see it. In verse 8, it says his neighbors and those who had previously seen him as a beggar, I mean, there were the people who just knew him as this guy who sat over here on the side of the road begging for money, for alms, who was blind. Then there were those who lived and worked near him. They they knew him on a more intimate level. And and they're all taken aback by the fact that, hey, this miracle's happening. He's able to see. And this conversation begins, is, is that really him? Some who only knew him casually said, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure that's the same beggar that was always, always sitting by the road. And in verse 9, so he, he stands up and he says, hey, it's me. Yeah, it's really me. I'm the beggar. I'm the one who was blind. And now I'm able to, to see. And then in verse 10, they ask him, well, what happened? How is it that you're able to see? Who opened your eyes? And in verse 11, he says, it's this man called Jesus. Here's what he did. Now I can see. The man called Jesus is the one who has given me my sight. And so in verse 13, they bring him in front of the Pharisees, the religious leaders there in in, in Judaism, if you will. They didn't like Jesus very much because he was challenging some of their traditions. And one of the things they really get upset about in this particular story is it happened to be on the Sabbath, the day of worship, when Jesus healed this man. And they had all these rules you're supposed to follow. Do this, don't do that. You know, all these religious rules like a lot of people have that, that are so important to them. And they were upset because Jesus had the audacity to heal this man on the Sabbath and tell him, hey, you're healed, now take your stuff and go home. 
I mean, isn't it amazing how some people get more upset over some rules than they do over the fact that somebody's hurting? Get more upset over rules than the fact that somebody is lost and going to hell? Isn't that amazing that that so-called Christian people and church people and religious people can get more upset about those things than they can the condition of somebody's life? Uh, uh, Four or five of you agree with me, huh? Well, that's what's going on in the story. They're upset. They don't like Jesus. And they, they, in the story, they even say, Jesus, they say to this blind man who now can see, the guy that you say healed you, he's none of God. He's a sinner. How do we know he's a sinner? Because he did this on the Sabbath day. And then they ask the blind man who can now see, what do you think about him? Do you, do you think he's a, he's a prophet? They bring his parents in. Is this guy your son? Yeah. Was he really blind from birth? Yeah. So miracles were, yeah. How did it happen? We don't know because they didn't want to get in trouble with these religious leaders about, about this Jesus guy. They said he's of age, he's an adult, he's a grown man, he can speak for himself. Ask him how it happened. And so they ask him again. How did this happen? What do you think about this Jesus He's a sinner. And I love his answer. This is my favorite verse in this whole story. Look at verse 25, okay? Let's read that together. Verse 25. Here's what the the blind man who can now see said to them. He then answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I what? Now listen, brothers and sisters, you don't have to know everything before you can talk to somebody about what you do know. And so many times we tell ourselves, what if I can't answer their question? What if I say the wrong thing? I don't know the Bible well enough. We have all these reasons why we don't talk. Listen, you don't have to know everything, but you do know what you know. And if you've been saved, you know that. And if in this whole process, this whole focus of telling your story, you've struggled to write your story because you don't know for certain whether or not you're saved, I don't want you to bury it and ignore it. I want you to face it and let us help you with it. Because today can be the day when God brings absolute clarity to you because he does not want you to live with doubt and confusion. The Bible tells us that we can know we have eternal life, that if we have Christ, we have life. If we do not have Christ, we do not have life. And he tells us in John, in 1 John, that he's written all of this to us so that we might know. That we have life. God doesn't want you living with doubt. And I want to encourage you as you hear this testimony, this story, to to open your heart and your life to Christ. And if there's any doubt, settle it today. Don't leave this place with doubt still being part of your identity. Settle today who you are. But right now I'm going to I'm going to ask Chris Dew, who is from Anderson, is where he currently lives, and um Young man, I've enjoyed getting to know here the last few days talking with him on the phone and in person. 
and uh, just got a great heart, but he's also got a great story of what the Lord's done in his life. And I'm going to turn over the rest of the sermon time to him to share with us. Would you welcome him to First Baptist Church today? God bless you, brother. How's everybody doing this morning? Very cool, very cool. Um, well, I'm going to pray for us real quick, um, and then I'm just going to share my story real quick. So I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Jesus, um, you are Lord. You're the whole reason that we're here today. Um, I just pray that you draw people to yourself. The whole reason I'm here is to preach your gospel, share my story, and to see lost people found. Um, I just pray that you do that right now. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Very cool. Hey, I'm excited to be here today. I'm so excited. Um, And I love hearing that story because that's pretty much all I got. (laughs) Is like, hey, Jesus changed my life. Um, I was blind and I can see now. That's pretty much all I got. Um, I'm going to try to give you a little bit more as I explain my story. Um, so I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina originally. Um, I lived there for 20 years. Um, had a pretty average uh, childhood growing up other than I had this speech problem. So could not really talk all that well. So if you were to ask me my name, I would say something like, I would just stutter over and over again. Um, Couldn't answer questions in class. I would like act like I wouldn't have my homework. I'm just like, no, I'm not answering questions. Um, I would write down um, food orders on a piece of paper and hand it to the waitress because I'm not going to stutter in front of them. Um, Just couldn't get it out. So, think about that growing up. You know, just had this horrible speech problem, tried to have friends, you know, tried to hang out with people and do that. And I just really, I just had this crippling speech impediment and all kinds of anxiety that goes along with that. On top of that, always had this emptiness that it really didn't seem like other people had. Um, I would look at other people and they're laughing and playing sports and having fun. And I'm just like, hey, hey, listen, I'm just not there, bro. You know what I mean? Like I just like I don't have that joy that you have. I don't have that uh, happiness that all these other people have. Um, I could put on the happy face and I could act like, OK, everything's good on the outside. I'm going to go smile. I mean, but internally I had um, emptiness. So all the anxiety, all the emptiness I made a choice at a very young age that, hey, if I've got anxiety, I've got this emptiness, I'm going to do whatever I can to try to get as much pleasure from this world as possible. I was like, hey, if i got this emptiness, I'm going to be here like 80 years, right, and then I'll die. Man, all I'm going to do is try to get pleasure from this world, and I tried. Um, I... Early on, it was like sports. Like, hey, if I get really good at sports, um, I'll be awesome and I'll be satisfied. And that didn't really work because I was kind of short and white and couldn't jump and it was horrible. Um, And then I was like, hey, if that doesn't work, I'll just hang out with that group of friends and then I'll be satisfied. Right? If I just hang out with popular kids, then I'll be cool and I'll be satisfied. And I tried that and I was in their little clique for a while. And then it's like, yeah, that's that's not it. Uh, I'm still not satisfied. So eventually, I was like, well, I just need a girlfriend. 
that's what's going to satisfy me. I chased after girls for a long time. I was like, that doesn't work. I'll just start hooking up with them. You know, so hooked up with them in that area, and that really didn't work. I was like, well, hey, I'll just look at porn, and that'll work. And I chased after that. And eventually it was like, okay, alcohol and partying. I'll try to go after that. And I went after that. And eventually I started smoking weed, and I started using harder and harder drugs. So I was a senior in high school, and I was a full-blown heroin addict, um, sticking needles in my arms every day. Um, and the whole aim, right, was, hey, I'm going to get pleasure out of this stuff. And what ended up happening is I didn't really have any pleasure in life anymore. Um, so I was in a tough spot, right? Like I had tried everything I'd ever known to, you know, have pleasure, to have satisfaction, you know, to have the wholeness feeling that I was thinking that I was looking for in life. And, and, and I still didn't have it. Right? Hey, if joy doesn't come from money and uh, sex and all that stuff, then then where does it come from? Right? Because that's what the world is screaming at us. Right? That hey, you have to you have to get this stuff and then you'll be satisfied. And I had that stuff and I wasn't happy. Um, so I was in and out of treatment centers, in and out of counseling sessions, in and out of all this stuff, um, and it still didn't work. I was like, well, obviously the problem is I have to get off drugs because that's no that you know that didn't work either. So eventually, I was at a treatment center in Florence, South Carolina, um, and I'd only been there for about a week, and I was invited to a Christmas Eve service. So uh, Christian Christmas Eve service, um, and I was, I was in ripped up jeans, had, you know, long hair and tattoos, is actually kind of how I look tonight, but um, <laughs> this morning, not tonight. Um, but I was a mess, I had track marks up and down my arms, and, um, you know, I was in there, and whole reason I went was I was trying to get away from the rehab for a little while because I just wanted to get out of there. Um, but I went and I heard this guy preach the gospel. And I had heard the gospel, you know, I'd heard it before, and I had raised the hand, I'd prayed the little prayer they told me to do and all that, but um, I was still a heroin junkie. So I was there that night and I heard this guy preaching the gospel. Heard him, heard him tell me how much God loved me. That, hey, he wants to clean you up. Like, he is all the joy that you're looking for. He's the satisfaction that you're looking for. And I was, I was sitting in there, and I, man, Jesus just snatched me out of hell that night, Christmas Eve, five years ago. And, hey, everything after that wasn't perfect. Right? I don't want you to hear, like, okay, I met Jesus, and then everything was great. No, he snatched me out of hell and then I had a lot of struggles I had to wrestle with, but I knew I had gotten a taste of that pleasure I had always been looking for, right? That the hole I had had in my heart, hey, he was the thing that's going to fill it, right? So I know it's awesome to come in here and hear a story like that, like, okay, um, Chris is some preacher guy, you had a stuttering problem, and now like, he was a heroin addict, and he's got this incredible story. I mean, but I don't, I don't have a story like that. But, hey, if you don't get anything else out of what I say, I want you to hear this. Your story matters. Your story matters. That everybody in here has, has a story. And it matters. So, let me ask you this. Is Jesus in that story yet? And... I don't mean church, right? I don't mean, okay, I came to church from a little boy and I read my Bible and do that. No, no, no. 
I mean, is, is Jesus in that story? The real God of the universe, is, is he in that story? So, in that question, um, I just want to share Jesus with you for a minute. So, I don't know if you've heard about Jesus, heard the gospel 300 bazillion times, and you've sat through it all these times, or if this is going to be the first time you've ever heard it, but I just want to share Jesus with you. I want to share the good news of Jesus with you right now. All right, here's the gospel. All of us are broken, right? Everybody gets that, right? We're all messed up. We're all broken. Um, even if you like grew up in the church and you read your Bible every day growing up and you're in the perfect little family and you do all that, all of us are broken. All of us are messed up. And if you're sitting here and you're like, yep, that's, that's good, Chris, and I know that you have that rough past and I told a lie one time, but I'm not a liar, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm not in that camp with you. I'm not broken. Well, how about I put your thoughts from the past week up on this screen right here and let everybody watch them. I'd never come back if y'all did that to me, to be real honest with you. I still think wicked stuff, right? Like, like all, all of us are broken, every single one of us. And the problem with that brokenness is not that it makes us bad people. The problem with that brokenness is that our sin separates us from God, who's the only thing that can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. You get that? So there's, a, there's an almighty, infinitely beautiful God of the universe, and our sin separates us from him. Psalm 1611 says, In his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward found in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on playing with mud pies in a slum, for we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So there's an infinitely pleasurable God who's filled with happiness, filled with joy, filled with that soul satisfaction that all of us look for, the holiday at sea, except our sin separates us from him. The only thing that satisfies our soul is God, and we're over here left without him empty. So all of us are born that way. Every single one of us are born that way. And how we treat that emptiness is all going to be different, right? Like I chose drugs, yours is probably money or, you know, something else, right? You just, you just have this emptiness. Okay, if I uh, try to get all these things, then I'll be satisfied. And let me ask you a question. Is it working? Is it working? Because, hey, if it's working and you're like, hey, I'm just rolling in the dough, bro, and I'm, you know, I'm satisfied when I die, I'll, you know, handle that later, but I'm, I'm satisfied, then great. You can tune me out for the rest of the time. But if you feel a little bit of emptiness inside you, like, hey, there has to be something else, then I'm going to hopefully unpack that for you today, and hopefully um, Jesus will change your heart.
So all-satisfying God of the universe, our sin separates us from that all-satisfying God, and we're left empty, striving for all this stuff to fill us. And none of it works. Listen, I, I rang the pleasures of this world dry, and it's ashes. There's no satisfaction in it. It's instant gratification, long-term emptiness. So, hey, if I ended the message there, that would be horrible, right? Like, hey, all satisfying God, all you are broken, all you are empty, peace. Right? That would be miserable. That would be horrible. Except there's good news. There's the gospel. And all that word means is good news. And here's the gospel. And that in his love, in the eternal, all-satisfying God of the universe, in his love for you and I, and hey, if you don't get anything, he loves you. God loves you. You don't have to earn his approval. You don't have to clean yourself up. He just loves you. And in his infinite love for you, he sent his son Jesus. And everybody look at me. He's not Santa Claus. He's not the Easter Bunny, right? He's not some unicorn mythical fairy tale. He was a real person. Jesus Christ came in the flesh just over 2,000 years ago and lived a perfect life the life that you and I really should be living but aren't able to. He lived the perfect life, and then all the religious people arrested him, beat him, mocked him, spat on him, and eventually crucified him because he was hanging out with people like you and I claiming he was God. And they nailed him to a cross, stuck him in a tomb, and then three days later he literally rose from the dead. And listen, for years I heard that, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's great. What's that have to do with me? Right? Like, you're, you're talking about some old dude who lived 2,000 years ago who, who, like, you know, he was murdered and then he rose from the dead. Yeah, that's great. What does that have to do with me? I've got real issues, real tangible stuff in my life. And, hey, here's the answer that I've uh, finally come to understand is that why it matters to you is because your emptiness is real. And that emptiness, that unsatisfaction, is not going to go away until Jesus lives inside of you. I got a verse that I want to share with you that has really been on my heart for a few days, and I haven't known why, but here's what it is. Matthew 13:44, And it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field, that salvation. It's not, hey, I prayed a prayer and raised my hand in a service. That's not salvation. Salvation is, hey, I've, I've seen this incredible treasure, this, this infinitely valuable treasure. And I, 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 want, I don't want any of this anymore. I, I want that. That's, that's salvation. That's the gospel. It's saying, hey, listen, I see that God is full of joy, full of pleasure, and I'm empty over here. All this stuff isn't working, and I want that pleasure instead of all this stuff. And I turn from this stuff, and I live my life for this stuff now. John 3.16, and this is one that we've all heard probably if you've been in church, but I want you to try to view it through a new light this morning. And it says this, For God so loved the world, 
so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever, listen, I want you to like, just focus in on that word. Whoever. That means if you've been sitting in church for 80 years and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, that means you. That means if you're me, a broken, stuttering heroin addict, that means, that means me. That means everybody in this room and outside this room. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Look at me. Eternity is real. Eternity is real. And all of us are going to spend eternity one of two places, right? Either separated from God, how all of us are born, and listen, that's going to be bad. That's going to go bad for us. Or in his joy for eternity in a place called heaven, except we're going to be eternally with Jesus. Heaven isn't good because it's heaven. Heaven is good because Jesus is there. So, hey, Romans 10 verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me ask you, has that happened to you before? Have you seen Jesus for just how amazing and remarkable he is? And hey, all the joy and satisfaction and pleasure in him and all this stuff isn't that. And I want him and said, hey, I trust in what you did on the cross. You paid for the thing that separates us when you died on the cross. And you rose from the dead and that gives me new life if I'm in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, not in church or sprinkled as a baby or in I raise my hand. No, if anyone is in Christ, and all that means is that he's Lord of your life. So let's all just close our eyes and bow our heads real quick, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond with the gospel. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Jesus, only you, only you can save. No well-crafted message or um, passionate speech is going to save people. Jesus, only you can save people. And I pray that you do that right now. God, I pray that you make yourself known to people and that people choose to follow you. Hey, if you're in this room right now, and I'm not going to make you do anything crazy like come up on stage or uh, do a dance or anything, but um, hey, if you want to know Jesus, that can happen right now. His word says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hey, if you want that, if you want Jesus right now, if you want him to save you, I just want you to pray this prayer to Jesus quietly in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. Just quietly in your heart, just pray this prayer. He loves you so much. Just pray this to him. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I need you to save me right now. 
show me how to live for you for the rest of my life. I love you, God. Amen. Hey, all heads down, all eyes closed still. Um, Hey, if you just pray that prayer, I want you to look at me and just throw your hand straight up in the air. I just want you to look at me and throw your hand straight up in the air. And there's quite a few of you, so you're not the only one. If you just did that, I want you to keep it raised as as high as I can because I'm going to count you guys. Hey, if you just responded to the gospel, I want you to raise that thing up high because I'm going to count out loud if that's okay. So just keep your hand up. I can't see everybody right now, so I'm going to count you, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Y'all, fourteen people just responded. Fifteen people just responded to the gospel. Y'all, we can celebrate that. I want y'all to clap for that. That's awesome. Fifteen salvations. That's awesome. All right, hey, I want to close with this example real quick about um, evangelism. So your story matters, and I'm way over time already, so I'm going to, I'm going to close with this. Um, your story matters, okay? And all you have to know is, hey, listen, I was blind and now I see. And you don't have to be a weird Christian guy with the Christian T-shirts handing out flyers and everybody. No, all you got to know is, hey, here's the place where I got him. Here's the place where I met him. It's this place, right? Of course, once you grow and stuff, you know, you'll have your story. But all you have to know is, hey, come and see. Just come see him. So I want to encourage you with that. And I'm going to hand it over to Pastor right now. I'm sure you were blessed by Chris' testimony. And some of you sitting there at home or wherever you're watching this service, pray with him to commit your life to Christ, even if you did not, but you're still thinking about it and you'd like to, you can do that right now where you are. Pray and talk to God and and tell him you want a relationship with him. And if you've prayed that prayer and you committed your life to Jesus, I'd like to know about it so we can help you in your Christian life. Contact us at the address that's on your screen there. And if you do that, I'll give you a call and talk with you about uh, your decision and how you can grow as a Christian. So let us know that you've made that decision to follow Christ. Also, I want to encourage you to tune into the broadcast next Sunday. And if you live in the Rock Hill area, to join us for worship on Sunday mornings. Two services, one at 910, the other is at 1030. I would love to meet you. God bless you and have a great week, everybody.